Welcome to the Bad Roman Podcast. On this show, we talk with veterans, community leaders, Christians, and non-Christians as we explore the entanglement of Christians with the state. The Bad Roman Project was created out of the firm belief that as Christians, we are called to follow Christ, not the state. Here is your host, Craig Hargis. Hey, folks. One of my absolute favorite things about the Bad Roman Project is all of the fascinating people I get the opportunity to speak with. And today is no different. Today, Katura Lamb comes on the show, and she is working on a few different projects that brings folks together, and I love it. She also puts one foot in front of the other, knowing Jesus is king, and I love that even more. Let's go. Yep. Left, right, left, right, left. We got our marching right, orders, man. Left, right, left, right. We'd rather left, serve God than right, serve Caesar, you left, know me? Right, I'm just trying to live how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on. It's so exciting. This is exciting. Yeah, yeah this is exciting for me, man. I've, I've, I've been not like a creep or anything, but I kind of been following you a little bit on social media for a while. I'm not even really sure how we got connected, but the stuff I see you post on Facebook and the, and the work you're doing is just fascinating to me. And I was like, and you made a post the other day about uh, you don't debate on social media much anymore, but you got into a debate that looked like on Twitter and it caught my attention and I messaged you and here we are. And we're going to talk about that a little bit before we uh, get into some of your, or after we get into some of your projects. But before we get that, that into all that, tell us a little bit about yourself because this is your first time on the show and people might not be familiar with who you are. I'm fourth generation without a social security number and birth certificate. So that probably like catches a lot of different people's attention. We don't identify as sovereign citizen, which is going in a little bit of a different direction. So that's pretty fun. But um, basically uh, the last few years I've been traveling and speaking on how to thrive without a social security number. I'm not talking about how to live so off grid that you actually are stifling your lifestyle, but actually how to live like a good American dream life without a social security number, um, which is most of what I do. But um, that stems back pretty far. I grew up around my grandparents when I was younger. And he would tell me all sorts of Bible stories and stories about his father who decided not to give his kids socials. My grandpa was one of 13 kids raised that way. And then my dad was one of nine kids raised that way. And now I am the oldest of 12 kids and we're all also raised this way. And it's been a fantastic. There's some, of course, some of the family members who thought was awful, but it's got to the point where fourth generation, all my siblings and I are quite content and happy at what my great grandfather has decided to do with his family. And of course, any of us could decide to, to get a social or birth certificate at any time and live life however we wanted. But we're, yeah, we really like our lifestyle a lot. That's awesome. I did not know that about you. So yeah. <laughs> I just learned something new about you in the very beginning of the show. So that's interesting. I rem- that reminds me, I remember when I was a kid, I didn't have a social social security card. And I remember telling my mom, I was like, I need a card so I can have it in my wallet in case something happens to me so they can identify who I am and all this and stuff. And I, for some reason, as a kid, I was freaked out about not having a, having the card in my wallet you know, running around town. It was before I was old enough to drive and, you know, all that stuff. But mm-hmm. for some reason, I thought I needed this card. I've, and I don't think that I've ever um, talked to anybody that has gone that route. I mean, so like, how does that work? Like in like, if you're going to like, going to like get a job and stuff, like, how does that work? How do you, you know what I'm saying? It's like, cause that's, that's so fascinating to me that y'all decided just to not be a part of that part of the system. And I, and I love it. I, I love it. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it is you just have to like be willing to think differently. 
And what it's forced us kids to do, like naturally, I don't even think we were forced to do this, but we were just forced to be very creative and think about what we wanted to do and how to go about doing that. And for each of my siblings, um, I mean, a lot of my siblings are pretty young. One of my, my youngest brother just turned four yesterday. But like for all of us older ones, we make more money. We have been making money. We've had steady income since we were probably 15, 16. Just doing our own projects. We've always, we've never had a lack of work. We've never had a lack of opportunity. And it's just because like we, we see something, we want to do it, we love it, and we just go go for it. So for me, that's mostly just looked like cleaning and working for different uh, people in their greenhouses and working with different older ladies. Like my first job was working with an Amish lady, helping her run her greenhouse. She had this old fashioned uh, cash register where you like typed everything in and it just printed. It was like not, not electrical. I don't remember what, like what you called it, but it was like super old fashioned cash register. It was so fun to work with. <laughs> and like now I work as a seamstress and I specialize like in wedding dresses and such, but it just like, and all the type of stuff, like you make good money and like you make more money than you would make doing a corporate job, which my great grandfather was completely against. So like he refused to have a corporate job or any of that kind of stuff. So you're just like, you're thinking differently. You're like, I'm not relying on the system. I'm relying on my faith in God and doing the things that I know I'm called to do and love. And my focus isn't on making money, but as a result, we've always been blessed and still have had plenty of money. Well, it sounds like you're just hustling. You, you have a lot of side hustles that are bringing in income. So does that mean like you don't have to worry about like the taxes and all that in? How do you? Yeah, we don't do income. You can't, You. I don't know how I could pay income if I wanted to pay income. And we've never done it. Like none of my family members have ever even considered doing that. But not only like, so yeah, we're kind of a hustle and kind of like, I guess you could call it that. We're like, we're very hard workers. And when we get to right. we get it done, but also we have a lot of free time. I don't know anyone else that can take off months and months like I do to travel and to go all over the place, which is like, that's not all my siblings are into that, but like, that's something that's very important to me. And so I will work really hard for a couple months and just kind of like put my money away. And then I will take off like six plus months and just travel and do whatever I want. I've done that. I've gone to Germany for six months. And this last year I went just all out east mostly east coast area for five months and just lived in my car when all of the places went to all sorts of like contra dances and a folk school visited lots of different types of people and friends for a couple projects i'm working on i my my first passion is writing so i do a lot of stuff like for my writing projects and this last five months was i was focusing on uh, a nonfiction and two different fictions so i was just like doing a lot of traveling for those but also just because i wanted to like i said i've been we've been connected on facebook for a little while and and I've seen this, some of your posts, like, like I don't see so, uh, everything. Like, you, you'll go, like, it seems like you go silent, and then all of a sudden, there's Katura yeah. And all this fascinating things she's doing, and she's posting about it. And then, and I love that. I love that. Because y'all, y'all found a way to get around the system. And y'all are happy, and you're you're living, and you're eating, and you're helping each other, and you're, you're helping other folks. I mean, I, that is so cool to me. That is so cool to me. You should be very proud of yourself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it definitely isn't one of those things like a lot of people think like it's just something you get into and you're really happy. Like most kids go through this phase when they're like 16, 17, 18, even like early 20s where you're like, my family is crazy. Like, what did they do to me? <laughs> and I, I definitely went through that phase and it, and I had like questioned everything. Like, why are we doing this? Like, is it actually wise to mistrust the government as much as we do? Is it like putting us at a 
disadvantage because of this. And so I had to like work through all that. And of course, all my friends were telling me this because they're like, you're never going to be able to do anything. But then I just like started like rationally looking at the difference between their lifestyle and my lifestyle and the type of things that I was looking into doing and the type of things they were looking into doing. And they're like, yeah, I've got to go to college and I've got to work this boring McDonald's job in order to pay for my college and in order to get a job that I don't really want to do. And I've got to work at this job for the rest of my life. And then I've got to like give a large portion of that money to the IRS. And I'm just like, wait, that's freedom? Right. (laughs) I got it way better. Yeah. (laughs) Like I can travel and like, I don't have to worry about working near as much as my friends do. And I don't know, like I just, I started like looking at it a little more rationally and realizing like, the world tells me like I'm at a disadvantage and that I technically don't exist and all this type of stuff. And I'm just like, actually, I feel quite the opposite. No, I'm, I'm very envious of you right now. So I'm a little jealous of your lifestyle, to be honest with you. I can't, I mean, I, 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 wow, I'm very envious. That is, that is cool. So what brought us together for this conversation today was a, a post you made about debating um, anarchy or Christian anarchy and stuff with, with some folks on, was it on Twitter, right? Yeah, it was on Twitter. All right. But before we get into all that, it was, it was, it was funny to me to watch or to read the, your interaction with these folks on there. I, I loved every bit of it. <laughs> Just the way you got, what, the way you handled yourself was, was, was cool to me, but there's three different things that you sent me that you've been working on part of your three projects, but I know you're doing much more than just these three, but there's one, the social porcupine, which I read the uh, the Turtle Island for Women Who Love Woods article on, on that blog, right? So it's not very long. I'm going to read it real quick to, to kind of give people some context. And it says, uh, and then, then I kind of want you to let, expound on what, what you wrote on this a little bit and what you what you experienced there. It says, last weekend I taught hand sewing and embroidery at Turtle Island, an off-grid thousand-acre nature preserve in North Carolina. I also participated in blacksmithing and net making classes and went on a long, quiet walk, discovering a, discovering I shared a birthday with one of the founders. It was a beautiful weekend to unplug and pick up skills. The students were a delight. I watched them fall in love with sewing. Some of, some of them claimed they never thought such a thing possible. The truth is matters of femininity are far from despicable once we move past the lie that we're incompetent. The word empowerment gets thrown around a lot, but it's simply capability and joy. Some call it domestic servitude because they want more corporate slaves and fewer competent women guiding communities. A skilled, capable woman isn't a doormat. She's a queen with a broom in hand, ready to heat, beat the pulp out of the doormat so you'll feel welcomed in her d- domain. Our ser- sermons will be more readily heard, too, because it will be backed by authentic benevolence. Do check out Turner Island's available courses. They, of course, have something available for just about anyone and everyone. Their next Woods Woman's Weekend is in the fall, and they also have two-week summer camps for young girls. Now, I probably should have let you read that because you probably would have said it a lot better than I did, but <laughs> kind of maybe expound on, on what you experienced there because I thought that was very cool, just yeah. what y'all were doing there and just a 1,000 acres. Come on, that's a lot of land. Sounds like a lot of place to roam. You've heard of Eustace Conway, right? No. Oh, you sh- you would totally love Eustace Conway. Eustace Conway is this guy uh he's the guy who runs it it's actually first a guy's place um he hosts a lot of like chainsaw classes and off-grid classes there for guys but he's since had a couple women who came on board and they've started hosting programs for women too anyways he did like this trek across the country he's in this book called i think the last american man or something by the same author who wrote eat pray love she wrote a biography about him anyways and he's also on I think the show Mountain Men. I don't really watch stuff and I haven't read his biography yet, 
but he's anyways he's semi-famous in like the off-grid world just because he's done a lot of stuff tracked across the world and then his thousand acre preserve in north carolina is completely off-grid there's no electricity no wi-fi no cell service composting toilets outdoor kitchen hearth fires cob ovens like it's just a really amazing place so beautiful and it like has had, had years of work put into it. I would say 20 or 30 years into the place, at least 20, maybe only 15. And there's a lot of opportunities for all sorts of people to like visit it and get a course. Like the courses aren't that expensive, a couple hundred dollars for a weekend course. And it's just a really good experience just in general, because like you're unplugging from the rest of the world and just experiencing like this beautiful place. Fuses Conway's there. That's, that's fun too. He's usually there for the guys' courses if he's there, it's just amazing just because, like, he's a real person, like, and he, like, has had some really interesting experiences. So what what a, what what brought you to that place? I mean, was it him or was it just had you heard about it through him or, or, or through somebody else? And Yeah, I heard it through a friend, and I was like, wow, that place looks beautiful. And uh, whenever I see something online or different things, I, like, put this in the back of my memories to, like, later on check out. And when I was traveling through... I was getting into doing my living room academy project, which I think we'll talk about in a bit. And when I was like kicking off to get into that, I started visiting different types of like off-grid schools that I thought might be a little bit similar to my own project. And what I did was I talked to a friend. I said, can you come with me to this Turtle Island thing? They're doing a woodswoman cooking weekend, a cooking day. Let's both of us pay to this class. And I said, let's just hang out. And by the end of the day, I'm, I, I want to see if they'll give me a job here and so she and I both signed up for the course and she was kind of like oh I don't know about this she's like this is a lot of work but I'll do it for you because I know you want to like teach here so we did and the both of us worked there and by the end of the day they offered me a job to come back and teach the sewing course in the fall that's awesome and you mentioned earlier that all the traveling that you're you're free to do because of the life that you've chosen to live and and so you get to meet all these people like I always feel kind of like a privilege to get to meet people doing this yeah but you're meeting these people in real life you know not not through zencaster like we record on or not through a zoom call you're meeting these these folks face to face and and making real relationships and i think that's mm-hmm. that, that's so admirable I, and I, I wish i was just gonna say I, I i hear about these people first through podcasts and by seeing posts online though and then i follow through and find a way to meet them in person so like like what you're doing here is very helpful to make connections like that possible yeah, I mean, I'm a social butterfly by nature, you know, and so being able to do this is 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 cool to me. But also, I like to shake hands. I like to hug people, you know, and I like to sit down with and have dinner with folks and and just talk about things, you know. Just and if we're just sitting around a campfire stuff, you know, or something like that. But at the same time, I like to sit at home with my cats, you know. So I get I get a little I get a little antisocial, not antisocial, but it's sometimes you just got to take a break. Do you ever do that with yourself? Like you're like, all right, I've been doing all this traveling. Do you ever just need to sit back? Like I need some me time to sit down and read, do some writing, and just kind of just kind of just not not disassociate from the world, but just just take a step back. It's like all right, I got to catch my breath. I've been doing all this stuff. And now it's time to decompress and just maybe just sit down and, and pet a cat, you know, just it's something very simple. Yeah, for sure. I used to feel like I was very, very extroverted. I took like this extroverted test once and got 95% extroverted. I think I was just like in a really like unhealthy phase or something. <laughs> but now like I'm not that way at all. 
I mean, like, I'm the oldest of 12 kids, and I've done so much traveling, and I've met so many people, and I've just come to the point where I realize, like, people are amazing, but also, like, you get a little bit overwhelmed and a little bit exhausted at times. And so, like, that's part of the nice thing about having my own car when I do travel, and I mostly, like, stay in my car because it gives me that little bit of privacy and that little bit of space, and I'm not really, like, required to, like, do anything um, necessarily. If I feel like on my travels that I'm just seeing too many people, I'll take a couple days off and like go camp in the national forest or something, or I might sp- spend half a day at a rest stop before going to visit someone and just like stay there and write for a bit and read for a bit. I don't know. Yeah. Just having a car gives me that flexibility so that way I don't have to next necessarily go to the next place and rush to the next place. I can take my time and take some time to rest and recharge. There's something about, about living in, in this part of the country that it, they call it the mid South. You know, so like Tennessee is kind of convenient to the East Coast. And then if I wanted to go to Florida, you know, or even even go a little further, you know, past Arkansas, you know, it's. And so I've had the opportunity living here with folks that I've met online who pass through the area and I've got extra space in the house. If they need a place to stop and rest, they've they've stayed. I've met some incredible people. My friends, Elaine and Matt, have stopped here um Twice now, I met them the first time they were staying staying in Airbnb here in in Oakland, Tennessee, where I live. And I told them, I said, next time you're through here, I was like, I got a spare room with a bathroom. It's got all that stuff. If you just need, don't spend the money on that. Come, you know. And so they they come and they spend a night with stay at the house. And I get we have some of the most incredible conversations because when you get that opportunity to talk to folks who kind of think like we do, not kind of like these folks think like we do, you know. So you you get the opportunity to, to talk to them and it, it kind of recharges you because when you get out there in the world with folks who don't think like we do, they feel like, man, that can beat you down, you know, and it, it'll drag you down and drags your spirit down and all that stuff. And when you get to meet folks like that and they come in, recharge you, and then they go about their, their path, wherever they're going, you know, but I love that like the, this part of the country, it's, it's allowed me to get to, to meet folks just passing through. It's just a, I don't have to listen to some garbage on TV, you know, or listening to some news anchor screaming about how bad it is is out there. It's not all bad. There's a lot of good out there, and I've discovered that with the with the with getting to meet folks like like that like them, and now with you. But this this other thing you sent me, it's the it's it's another uh, site you're working on. It's called the Girl Who Doesn't Exist, and I just um. Notice this. I, I don't know why I didn't notice this when I was setting up the show, but it says the girl who doesn't exist is on an NBC docuseries. I want to talk, to talk to you about what you and your grandpa did, but tell me a little bit about this. What is this docuseries on NBC? So last year, uh, it actually was about this time, probably exactly this time. It was mid-June last year. I hosted an event in New Hampshire with a couple of friends called the Yellowstone Outpost, and we hosted it at the Porcupine Festival. It's a libertarian festival in New Hampshire. Are you familiar with it? Is that the pork fest that everybody's talking about? Or? Yeah, pork fest. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of it. So we went to pork fest and we hosted our little event there called Yellowstone Outpost. And we basically just like gave a bunch of different speeches on different topics. Uh, I shared on my uh, life without a social security number. And there was a couple of people like going through the area, a couple of journalists going through the festival, interviewing people about the libertarianism event and also like libertarianism in general and they came to my speech and i was in part of like episode two so it was just like something small no that's that's pretty cool it was a good connection too like uh i'm still like friends with one of the journalists from that and i think she and i will probably meet up some 
time soon in the future again. She was she was so sweet and she was so supportive and I liked her lots. <laughs> <laughs> it was I was kind of a little bit scary for me to be honest because like I am very free. Like my whole blog, the girl who doesn't exist, is about how I live life without a social security number. But at the same time, like even though I'm very public about it, I'm also sometimes a little bit wary when media gets involved because I'm like, how are they going to present this? Because most of the time when you see uh, people talking about non-social security number life, it's pointed at like sovereigns. You're probably familiar with sovereign citizens, right? Yeah. It's more in that direction. And of course, they're a little bit crazy and they really get the crazy hype when they're presented. So I was just like a little bit nervous, but she did such a great job. She was like very unbiased. I mean, like she was a little bit biased, like she liked us, obviously, (laughs) but she was just like very nice in her presentation and didn't make me seem like a crazy person. So I like that about her. (laughs) That's always good when when media doesn't make you sound crazy, because I mean, there's a lot of people when just just talking to people just on in general online about the stuff that we talk about. They they call you. I mean, I've been called crazy. I've been called, you know, all kinds of things because I'm like, well, hang on a second. First of all, I'm a Christian. And I can't support your Christian nationalism. I got into this long thread on, and, and not to get in too far off in the weeds on this, but I got in this long thread. Somebody tagged me in this post, and it was a it was a Bible, and the cover of the Bible said "We the People," <laughs> and I'm like, man, I was like, right. so, and he tagged me in it, and it was right after the Larkin Rose episode, and I and I and I commented, I said, y'all do understand that you are you are entangling government documents with the Bible. The Bible. Have you ever heard of theft and murder? You know, God said, "Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not kill." That's what this country does. <laughs> They've been doing it from the from the outset. I mean, come on, they weren't. Anyway, I'm going to get too far off in that. But um, you did this thing with your grandpa, and this caught my attention because my my granddad he's he's passed away now. He passed away actually right when I first moved to Tennessee, and he was a hero of mine. Like, I mean, this guy was like. He was a, like a true cowboy. He did all that stuff. You know, he, he, he did all this. Anything you can think a cowboy would do, this guy did it, you know. And, and the advice I would get from him, because we used to talk every Sunday before, like especially during football season when the Cowboys are getting to play, getting ready to play, we'd talk before the game. And then and just the stuff that he was – just the, the stuff you can get from somebody that, that has seen so many different things and – the advice, I, I, I miss him dearly, but that's the reason it caught my attention. And y'all did this thing, and it's on YouTube, this talk. It says at the um, the Sucket Gathering, I'm not, if I'm, am I saying that correctly? Sukkot. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, and I watched this YouTube video, and I, and I, I think I messaged you too. I was like, I love your grandpa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's, he kind of reminded me of my granddaddy, you know, just listening to him talk. But this, but this, the, the conversation that, that you guys, did was fascinating. Tell us a little bit about that because I want people who are listening to this to go to the girl who doesn't exist and look up my grandpa and I share our stories together. And there's a YouTube video that she's got on, on this on this uh, website that you can watch her and her, her grandpa give the speak at Sukkot. Sukkot. <laughs> Sukkot. <laughs> All right. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, Sukkot is a uh, Jewish gathering kind of thing, but it's more messianic. And so my family uh, just like it's it's a really fun place to go because it's a center place. And even if you're like not Jewish or Messianic, it's just a fun gathering. And my grandpa's a great storyteller and he just like makes the Bible come alive. And he makes your like passion for wanting to do things your own way without the government's assistant, just super appealing. He just makes life. 
I don't know. He just makes life the way we do it so fun. But also, and I've been at begging him for years and years to write all of his like childhood stories and like the story of why his dad decided to do what he did and why he kept on doing the lifestyle that way to himself down. And he recently finished that and sent it to me. I'm actually currently editing those stories and they should be hopefully available to be like, it should be published sometime hopefully this fall or early winter is what I'm hoping to have it ready by. It's an amazing book though. Like his book is so good. But anyways, my grandpa though, despite all this, he hasn't had a lot of well-received reception for what he has done in his later years. When he was younger, he was a traveling evangelist and he would talk both about his faith and about his life uh, without a social security number. But people kind of thought that was crazy. It was during like the rise of the sovereign citizen movement. He got grouped in with that and he just kind of lost um, faith, uh, I guess, hope in talking about it because it didn't seem like people wanted to hear about it anymore. But then I started talking talking about it and traveling, and my grandpa was was always a little bit like uncertain. Was I really talking about this, and was were people really receiving it? And I was like, yes, they were. And I think that if you and I spoke together, this would be so fun. And and uh, he lives halfway like he's in Arkansas, and I'm in Montana, so it's like hard for us to ever do anything together. But here we both were in Oklahoma at this gathering, and here we were talking. He was like, "Yeah, nobody wants to hear about this anymore." I'm like, "But yeah, look, people are like hearing me. Like I was just on this NBC series, and I've been like on several podcasts and been speaking and blogging about this, and it's like doing super well. It's like actually people are like listening to it and loving it. And he was like, "Well, that's really neat," but like he still wasn't quite like like seeing that. And I was like, let's, let's speak here. I said, we're at a gathering that has a couple thousand people. Let's speak here. And he's like, Oh, I don't think the people here will let us do it. I was like, we're not going to ask them for permission. (laughs) (laughs) We're not going to let them tell us. No, (laughs) I'm going to make some flyers. I'm going to hang them on all of the bathroom doors uh, at the camp and people can come to my car. We'll speak outside my car and however many people show up, we'll speak to, but like, they can't tell us we can't do that because we can do whatever we want on our own campsite. And he's like, okay. So I made the flyers and I hung them up all over the campground. And uh, one of the ladies uh, saw the flyer, one of the ladies in charge, and she decided that it was a neat thing to do. And she, not the main lady, like the main lady in charge would have been like, no, you can't do this. If I had asked her permission, she would have said no. But like the second lady in charge was like, this is super cool. She's like, you need a mic and you guys need a room to do this in. And so she like, uh, made an announcement during one of the services and she's like you guys got to go to this this thing but it's not going to be outside of katura's car it's actually going to be in the cafeteria so all you guys make sure to go there anyways over 100 people showed up to hear my grandpa and i speak together which was super uh validating for him i feel like just because he hadn't had something like that in a while that's awesome and i don't think the recording is very well like it, we were all amateurs when we were doing like the in-person experience was amazing yeah uh, i'm i guess you enjoyed the video and that's great i i only put it up for memory's sake, I thought kind of thought the, the recording quality was a little bit cringy, but like it was a great memory, and it was so great for my grandpa and I to like be able to speak together and connect these two different worlds where he had been speaking and I had been speaking, and like just see it collide and like oh he was so happy like afterwards he was just like wow people actually like, listened and loved this like this is amazing so it was it was just a really good experience for both of us. So your grandpa got recharged. Yeah. Like we were talking about earlier, so that's—I mean—that's very cool. So, I mean, yeah, the audio on it is—it's—it's it's a little difficult, but if you're paying attention to it, you can hear what, what y'all are saying. I mean, it's, yeah. if, if you're going to listen to it, I'll tell tell folks this too, who's listening to, to this show. If you're going to watch the, the YouTube video, make sure you've got some quiet time because you know, the audio is a little rough, but it's—but you can make out what's going on. But 
What what were y'all talking about? Tell tell the folks who are listening what y'all were talking about. So my grandpa and I, we both were raised the same. Our point of views are slightly different. For him, the this, this whole thing is more faith related, and for me, having a social security number is distinct from my faith. Like they're not they're not necessarily in the same category. So I just was like, this both of us give our testimony of what it was like to be raised without a social security number. Even if it's a little bit different, let's show people that you can have different sides and that family can still get along. And let's tell them like what, what it's been like being raised this way. So my grandpa talked more about the faith side of what it was like being raised with that social security number. I talked more about like the struggle of what it was like to like come into this decision of accepting this tradition for myself and how it has impacted my later life and in a good way. And we just came to this point where we just, we talked a lot about faith, but we also talked about like logistics of what it's like to not have a social security number and how those logistics are different for each of us and how they were different for each of the two of us. Because like we live in different eras, obviously, and he's a guy and I'm a woman and I'm like in the 21st century. And like, he was like living in a completely different time, I feel like. So it's very different, and yet it's worked for both of us because of who we are and our faith and just, like, what we want out of life. And, like, just focusing on that, like, this is all about, like, having healthy dynamics with the people in your life and being a pleasant person and knowing what you want out of life and going for that instead of, like, living in this fear. Like, my grandpa and I both are, like, harped on that. Like, it's not about living in fear. It's not about living in hatred. It's because you love God, and it's because you know what you want. And it's because you have faith and you have hope that you're able to live this lifestyle. It's not because we hate or fear the government. If that was our focus, then we'd become just like the sovereign citizens and live this super isolated, stifled life that would not be healthy at all. And so I talked a little bit about that, about how like part of the reason that this is a good experience for me was because I had a good father. And if I hadn't had a good father, then this whole like lifestyle would probably be viewed as a toxic lifestyle. I think it's, I mean, I, I think that's awesome. That's, and that's what I find so fascinating about you. And just the, like, you're, just, you're, you're a go-getter. You, y'all, and your grandpa was doing this with you. Just, you're going out there and you're meeting people and you're, and you're showing folks that there is a way to be pleasant to one another. <laughs> Cause we don't get to see that very, we don't see that a lot. When, as, if you spend too much time watching corporate media or any of that garbage that they're putting out on the, on the, on TV, mm-hmm. you'd be forget. Cause I, cause I'll see the stuff that people fight about and then I go to work or I go to the grocery store or, you know, wherever and nobody's acting that way. Yeah. You know, people are fighting all the time. It seems like when you're watching this stuff or you're, if you're reading stuff online and then I'm like, I'm not experiencing any of this. I'm not experiencing anything. Like, I mean, I'm not saying that there's not people out there that, that, that are not pleasant to be around, but don't get me wrong. I mean, there's people out there that are, Hey, I get that. I've been around them, you know? I saw a lot of that, especially during the COVID stuff, especially in the Memphis area. Like Memphis really took that stuff seriously. And a lot of people really took it seriously around here. And they were really unpleasant to be around. But but the vast majority of my time with folks, especially these days, you know, people kind of let go of a lot of that stuff. But I'm not experiencing the stuff that people are fighting about. I see people fighting about stuff online, like this this Target thing and I was like, why, why are people mad about Target? I had no idea. I, I asked a question about it on Facebook just because I was curious. I was like, why are people mad about Target? And then I got it turned into this this long thread for two or three days, which I finally lost interest. I was like, all right, now I know why people are mad. It's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> but it's stupid. But I, all right, y'all are mad. Be mad. I don't care. Anyway. Yeah, that was a fun time. I mostly... Uh... 
my grandpa and I, we both handled it in similar but different ways. He just was like, oh, people are going crazy and they want everyone to wear masks. So my grandpa went everywhere wearing a bathrobe and a gas mask. <laughs> <laughs> I love your grandpa. <laughs> and then I was just like, oh, people want me to, people want me to wear a mask. Well, watch me. I'm not even going to wear shoes. And so I just like, I got into everywhere. Like, I didn't wear a mask or shoes because people were so focused on the fact that I was barefoot. They forgot the fact to like, realize I wasn't wearing a mask. So like, yeah, like we just handled it our own way. And we laughed at the people who were unpleasant. And I met a lot of really nice people during that time. So overall, like 2020 <laughs> was a great year for me. I was going to ask you at the end of the show, just to kind of pick on you a little bit, but, but like every picture I see you in or people tag you in pictures or something, you're never wearing shoes. I'm like, is she always barefoot? Like she's, everybody else is wearing shoes around her and Katura's, I don't want to wear shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I started doing that during COVID as kind of like a protest against the insanity. I was just like, you know what? <laughs> I'm not wearing shoes ever again. <laughs> so I very rarely wear shoes. So you got used to it. I'm, I'm very, my, like if I'm at home, like right now, my I'm barefoot. I don't put, I don't wear shoes around the house or whatever, but my feet are very sensitive, like very ticklish. And if somebody like gets near my feet, it's, it's not because I'm trying to be mean, but I will probably kick them in the throat because it's a reaction because <laughs> right? they're so sensitive and so ticklish. Like, and it's just like, get away from my feet. I don't like people near my feet. So if I'm outside, I have to wear feet. I have to wear shoes because they're yeah. whatever. That's another story for another time. All right. Let's talk about the living room Academy. And I'm going to read, the last line in, in your description, but I want you to tell us more about it and kind of expound on it. But I love this because at the end you said, I will teach you how to safeguard your naivety so that it is your tool. Being more capable in your house, you will be able to spread home to the rest of the world. And I love that. I mean, I was going through, going through this and I, and I read that one line at the very, at the very end. I was like, that's awesome. You're going to spread home to the rest of the world. I don't know. For some reason, that just stuck with me. But I want you to tell us a little bit about what you're doing with this uh, project. Yeah. So a little bit of that philosophy is like I have my own little house and I guess people can't see the video, but like it's a super cozy place and I've learned to make that cozy. But I also travel a lot. And when you're traveling, like you have to learn to make home where you're at and hospitality ends up becoming a super important thing. And you observe the people that you stay with who are more hospitable than others and you like take the tips that you want for yourself and like discard the parts and you're like, Oh, I probably shouldn't do that when I have people over and just like all that kind of stuff. But also as I travel, like you kind of got to be smart, especially as like a single woman on the road, like how to like guard my femininity in a way that like, I still remain wise and untouched, but also kind of like, I don't want to put too much care into it. And so I have allowed myself to just be very ditzy and naive, but also like I've had to learn to be smart at the same time and just how to like collaborate those two things together and just allow myself to like remain soft, even when things kind of like go crazy. That's kind of like my philosophy in general and just like incorporate that into my school. So my, the school that I'm doing, it's a summer program that's being hosted in my home. And the idea is to have like uh, six or so women stay with me for two weeks at a time. And it's not a finishing school. Like people's first reaction, like, oh, this is a finishing school. No, this is not a finishing school. This is learning how to be more capable and competent as a woman, wherever you're at, but starting in the home and it's like coming and seeing how I do it. And just like being more aware of like how we dress and how we eat and cleaning and cooking. We're starting out with like some basic cleaning and some basic cooking. 
and then going into like some hand sewing, some afternoon walks, some evening reading of literature, discussions of like what different things mean as a woman, um, like beauty and our philosophy of like these two different extremes, like feminism and super conservative Christianity and stepping away from both of those views of what it means to be a woman and coming to a different place and like redefining like empowerment, like from the Turtle Island Post, redefining empowerment, redefining appropriation and tra- traditional culture and just making it in a place where it's like actually a beautiful thing and where you can actually like be just comfortable in who you are in a way that makes everyone around you also comfortable. Like just being this person that makes everyone happy. I don't know, happy and at peace. And we will have none of that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. No, but the thing is like, this is what's super encouraging is like this philosophy. Like at first it seems like, Oh, people are going to hate that. But I've had these conversations with like outright, complete, extreme butch feminists. And they're like, whoa, that sounds beautiful. Like their first reaction is like, oh, no, like I'm not going to be soft. I don't want to sacrifice. Like that's that's like that's bad. Like that's the world telling me to be more feminine. I'm like, but no, wait, sacrifice is good for everyone, even men. So why are you not willing to sacrifice if you still want the men to sacrifice? Like this is it's okay to be like soft and, and sacrificial. And then they'll start talking about it and being more open to hospitality and making your environment around you cozy because then it's not just about like filling this traditional role. It's more about like just being this good person yourself and making everyone around you feel more at peace and at home. I love it. So yeah, the, uh, the Academy has been doing very well. Uh, There's a ministry I worked for for a while in Tennessee that has helped uh, sponsor it. And then it went semi viral on Twitter. And so I've had quite a few applicants and I think the school is going to be a success this summer. It's looking like it's going to be a success. My first course is mid-July and goes through until the beginning of August. And then my second is like the ha- later end of August. And then I also have a weekend sewing course and a weekend lace tatting course available in September. And yeah, just a couple things like that. I'm super excited. I've gotten to know my applicants a little bit through like phone interviews and emailing. And it just seems like it's going to be a super good thing and for everyone like this isn't just about sewing and cooking and cleaning and wearing pretty clothes like that's just like the surface stuff like what this is really about is like learning how to be a community builder through your home and not having to feel like you have to have all these special tools and all this like ways to do it it's like how can you make friends from where you're at like that's this is what this is really about is like just being that that community builder through hospitality I think that's great. I think that's, I think that's, like I said, I get the opportunity to talk to some very fascinating people with this show and you are no exception. I mean, that's, I love it. I love what you're doing. I love the work you're doing. You're very busy. And like I said, in the intro, you're doing it to bring people together. Mm -hmm. It's coming from a good place. It's not about, it's not about couture. It's about, like you just said, community building. And I love the stuff that you're doing. Okay, we're going to shift gears a little bit and go to uh, a couple of Facebook posts. This is what really kind of brought us together for this conversation today. And you had another post the other day that did not was not a part of the, the plan, but <laughs> you, I loved it. <laughs> I, like, yeah. I want to talk to her about this. It is said, you said, it is mobs, not cults, that we must fear. Mobs deem others unworthy of existing and, we, and are willing to burn them and drown them and silence them for being a witch or a heretic. Flee all mobs and join a tribe. If I don't get called a heretic at least once a week, then I figure people stop listening to the show. But I love this post so much because I think that's true. Flee the mobs. 
because the mob mentality that we see that goes on, especially during like political cycles and stuff, it's it's wild. And when you take a step back and get out of it, but like I said, when you when you can take a step back and watch what's going on with these people and how hateful and angry they get with, yeah, because of this mob mob mentality. Tell where, where did this post come from? Because this is not what I, I messaged you or, or wanted to talk to you about originally. But I saw this the other day. I was like, oh, I got to bring this up before we get into the debate she got into. Yeah, I would say that post has come from a lot of my life experience in general. Like I am a Christian and I love like church and Christianity. I'm also quite anti-establishment and my family is very large and very different. I, I'll, when we get into the next part, I'll talk a little bit about my uncle and like Facebook arguments in general and like why I made that comment too. But like our family could be considered not my immediate family, but like in general, our family could have at different times been considered a cult. And I mean, like I've been called a heretic. I've been because of my different like non-mainstream views, religious views and different things. Uh, and I could argue those different points about how like, oh, but these are like older views that people had way before modern Christianity, and different things. Like I have a lot of views that aren't just your typical view. And so I have been called a heretic among different Christian circles and probably a witch, probably a cult, part of a cult, all those different things. And what I've noticed in all those different experiences is that people who like go out there out of their way to like label pe- people who are different from them, these things, like my family is not toxic and we're not hurting anyone. If anything, like, I mean, for sure, like we are helping many people and yet we get called those different names, which is quite bizarre because like the only people that actually cause the harm are the mobs who attack people who they label that i'm like looking back in the old time like i'm not talking down on catholics but like how catholicism would like go after these different people and call them heretics and kill them you know like where the heretics causing damage at the end of the day who lost their life was the was the heretics you know like not not anyone else or like during those Sa- the salem witch trials like all these witches were supposedly so dangerous but the mob killed the witches that wasn't like these women causing actual any danger or harm and so that that same idea like even in modern times where we like are so afraid of these different denominations where like um mainstream protestant christians really hate mormon mormons or they really hate seven-day adventists and these people are part of a cult and like they can put for this like really hateful disposition towards these different denominations because they aren't Christian enough or, or they're heretics or they're cults. And therefore they're somehow justified in attacking these different groups of people because of these different weird beliefs, what they classify as weird beliefs. And so like, basically I'm just like talking about like this. Are, are you willing to be a mob, be a part of a mob because you think it's wrong for someone else to be part of what you consider a cult? Or can you take a moment and just like step outside of this group of hateful people and like look at this other person for who they are and realize that maybe they, they aren't a cult and that they're just like a person who's thinking and doing things differently than you. And like, that's okay. And then when you get into it, like, or are you maybe even slightly envious of this person's life? Because like, maybe it's not so much that they're a cult as like, they actually have a family and a community and like, and that's not necessarily a bad thing to have a community or to have a tribe or to have what some people call a cult. Like that com- camaraderie and togetherness is actually something we should be coming closer to. And that's something that like a lot of people who are classified as a cult have, like Mormons have that. And a lot of Seventh-day Adventist families have that. And a lot of these different places, people that are considered cults, they have that family and that community that 
gets attacked by like a mob view point of view. Well, it's so strange to me too when because I mean I've I've talked to Mormons on the show and I've talked I mean I've talked to all different kinds of people when it comes to whatever they whatever however they believe and it's strange to me when I when I got like I spent a lot of time in Southern Baptist churches and I and I and I had this mentality that and I was taught this in these churches that they could trace their history all the way back to the early church but then I when I when I got out of it. I see how hateful they are to people. And this, I have to say this because I've, of Southern Baptist pastors who listen to the show who do not behave this way. So I didn't say that there are Southern Baptist preachers out there who are doing the right thing. But the vast majority of, what, of my experience with Southern Baptist churches, it's just the, the hatefulness that comes behind what they believe. And I was talking to a guy at work and I've mentioned, I don't, I'm telling you, but I'm trying not to repeat a story, but I'm telling you, I, this guy at work invited me to church for Easter. And I thought about it and I talked to him about his church. I said, it's a Baptist church. He said, yeah. I said, Southern Baptist? He goes, no. He said, it's not Southern Baptist, but it's a Baptist church. He said, the Southern Baptists are letting all the queers in their churches now. And I looked at him when he said that. And I, and I think I stared right directly through him. And I was like, I can't come to your church. If this is the the, the, the way you think, the way you treat people, I'm not, I don't, I don't, if that's the way people are acting, I don't want to be a part of that. I heard all the backbiting. I heard all that stuff from folks in these churches, and it, it, it's it's a mob mentality. It, it's wild to me. And I, and I was gonna, I was gonna ask you too, like you said, like like your immediate family, y'all think a certain way, but like like the rest of your family, how did do they view you as like crazy? Because I mean, my my family loves me, but when I first started like transitioning into anarchism and and understanding how that aligned with my faith. They thought I was going crazy. My mom's on board now. Like my mom's like, I'm never voting again. You know, she's all about the all the stuff, you know, the stuff we talk about. And you know, my stepdad, he's a former Marine and he doesn't understand it. So I don't even have the conversations with him. But my but I think coming from West Texas, the vast majority of my family is what you would consider red, you know, you know, super conservative Christian. You know, you know what I'm talking about, that type. But they're, I mean, I love them dearly. They're my family and they're they're good people. But they had this mindset that I had this and I had the same mindset and I got away from it. And now I don't know if they look at me like I'm a, a lunatic. I mean, I, that's OK. I mean, I don't mind if, if that's how they see me, because I'll sit down and have a conversation about what I believe with anybody. I don't care if you're on the left, right or in the middle or wherever. Let's talk about it. You know, so I'm, I'm curious. I was going to ask you that. Does, does other parts of your family, do they think you all have gone crazy? So, yeah, um, in general, my family is different than most families. I said something earlier about how like some people might consider us a cult like there's a lot of us my grandpa was one of one of 13 kids my dad was one of nine kids we were all were raised very very similar and very much the same the only thing that would probably keep us from being classified as an actual cult was my grandfather was raised by an ex-pentecostal pastor and so there was like a very much charismatic but part of that Part of that, what it brought out was that my grandpa believed that everybody should have something to share. And so nobody was ever really stifled. And there was like a lot of arguing and debating within the family all the time. But like all the women were encouraged to share. And like even when I was like nine, 10 years old, like I wasn't like one of the kids and being told, to, oh, be quiet. I was like, oh, did you write a song to, or have you written something to share this week? And so like, I was always getting up with my, by my grandpa's encouragement at our home fellowship and like sharing things I had written and sharing like 
theological essays that disagree with things my grandpa said. <laughs> like my grandpa loved that. And because uh, he was, he wanted us to think for ourselves and like to love God for ourselves and to have this faith be our own faith, even if it slightly disagreed with us, disagree with him. I mean, and if it did, he wanted to see all these verses and stuff. And like, he would still debate with us and like, I mean, my grandpa and I had, and I had some pretty intense uh, debates. And there was like one time when I was like 16 or 17, he and I had this one debate. It was so awful that I got mad at him and talked to him for like three to four months. But (laughs) um, at the same time though, that I think has kept us from becoming a legit cult is the fact that we are each individually quite charismatic, charisma, uh, charismatic and opinionated stubborn and strong-willed and you know all that kind of stuff like we just are each very much like that and in some different ways some of us are more so than others i think i'm more like on the extreme side of the family still like i've carried some of my grandpa's and my dad's mantle and that i like i'm a little bit more outspoken and a little bit more charismatic charismatic but my i don't know all my aunts are quite outspoken and crazy so like <laughs> i don't know we're all very much the same and all a little bit different at the same time like some of our ways have brought us in different ways. One of my uncles, though, uh, one of my grandpa's brothers, who's my great uncle, actually, uh, he and I used to argue on Facebook all the time. He he hated his father, he, my grandpa's father. He hated his father and hated the fact that he was raised how he was. As soon as he was old enough, he got a social security number. He got a birth certificate. He joined the military. He got a corporate job. He joined the world. And he hated Christianity. He became an atheist, all that kind of stuff. Like He completely rejected all the ways. And then uh, he just basically thought the rest of the family was like lost and just going to be like all these illiterate, crazy hicks who hated the government, feared the government and had nothing like intelligent to say. And then I came along and he was like, oh, you're actually like halfway intelligent. Let's have debates and let's change you over to my side. And it really frustrated him. Like he was so fun to, to debate with. I absolutely love debating with him because like he actually treated me like an equal. Like he, were, he was way older than me, but he treated me like an equal. I was like 20 years old maybe like 19, 18, 19, 20, like most of the years we debated on Facebook. And we just had like these long debates about theology and politics. And it's crazy, but those debates actually shaped a lot of like how I process things, even though he completely disagreed with me, was like always trying to change me. Like, just leave your family and join the military. And like, he was like, encouraged me to do all these things that were anti the way I was brought up. I was just like, had so much fun because like they were cordial debates. Like we both respected each other and we were able to like meet each other intellectually. And we finally came to a point where like I decided to keep on. I started my blog. He saw my blog and he was like so surprised because I was the first person in my family to be able to like do the things I, w- I had done without a social. Like before me, no one cared about traveling overseas and getting a passport and trying to get a banking account and all that stuff. So when I started being able to do those things, I think it made him take a step back and he was like, oh, wait, maybe like maybe it it doesn't put you in this really bad place to not have all this stuff. He died like in 2019 or something. But he wrote this book about his life that I haven't read yet, which I'm super excited to read. But still, like those those Facebook arguments shaped my shaped my life a lot. And he definitely was like, I mean, he had what all my all the lambs have. He had that charisma and that stubbornness and that strong will. But he just like took it in a different direction. No, I love it. Before we get into this next post, because you said for posterity and your enjoyment, since I don't debate much on Facebook anymore. And it looks like this debate happened on Twitter. Am I I seeing that correctly? Yeah. Before we get to that, have you always been like no king but Christ? Or did it take you a while to 
get to that point or, or like when you started understanding anarchy and, and with your faith and stuff, did, have you always been that way or is it just something you discovered? Cause it, I mean, it took me till 2016 to understand it, you know, or not, not even 2016, man, it was 2018 when I started, you know, understanding anarchy. Yeah. And the more I stood, the more I understood anarchy, the more I understood it, how it aligned with my faith. And then I got really interested in like the early church and how they how they uh, perceived the Roman Empire and how they interacted with the Roman Empire. And they just had nothing to do with it. And so have you always been that way or did you was it natural or is it just something that somebody taught you along the way? I would say both. Um, my grandpa is. I would say I didn't always have the labels and the words to define it. And so I didn't always realize that. I would say that I always have been this way, but I wasn't always like knowledgeable enough to be able to vocalize it, if that makes sense. I've always like loved the book of Judges and I've always interpreted it as like, oh, it was good to not have kings and it was bad when the people asked for a king and like we're going to be cursed for it. And I've always been of the opinion like, Robin Hood like was anti-keen and anti-tax not anti-keen Robin Hood obviously liked his keen Richard but like he was anti-tyranny and anti-taxes and then I've always like interpreted uh Romans 13 differently too where it's just like like that's not saying like it's good to have it's good to have a keen or like you were supposed to like want to pay taxes to them obviously if that was what it was saying then uh, during the Revolutionary War, that whole thing was completely unchristian, and we should not have done that. But I've also like we lived with the Amish for a few years when I was a teenager, so like I had a lot of like had a lot of like those types of leanings, which is very like early church. Like I mean, kind of goes back to early church. It's a little bit past that, but it goes back to some like those early church ideas where you're like a pacifist, like a true pacifist, in my opinion, is an anarchist. Like you cannot be one without the other. Right, one hundred percent agree. If you're an anarchist without pacifism you become like this Ayn Rand chaotic person that's like not healthy at all. But if you're a pacifist, you might not realize it yet, which is, I think that's a really fun conversation. You might not realize it yet, but you are an anarchist at heart. You just haven't like, maybe you don't need that because like that can be a little bit of a violent way of expressing how you believe. It's true, but we don't necessarily need that violent way of expressing ourselves until you can find a way to say that you're an anarchist in a pleasant way as a pacifist there's no need to say you're an anarchist i guess is what i'm saying yeah and I've, I've talked to a lot of pacifists too who still get still get entangled with like the state and, and they're you know i've got one and, and i love him dearly but I've, I've i've talked to him some online about like you know in tennessee we did well, kind of recent, the, the Nashville uh, school shooting. And I'll, almost immediately, and I've talked to some folks about this on the show already, but almost immediately you can see these folks coming out and wanting more gun control. And I'm like, well, wait a second. Are you wanting, I mean, I have a pistol, but I like to shoot. Like I like to target practice. I mean, I've done, I've been around guns my entire life, but I don't carry the weapon. I don't, I don't have never, in, I don't have any intention of ever using it on anybody. I don't care if they're attacking me or not, but you're, you're what you're telling me is you want the state to come take my weapon from me because that's gun violence. That's gun violence because if they come kick my door in and I refuse to give them my weapon, what's going to happen to me? They're going to arrest me. And if I, if I resist, they're probably going to kill me with one of their guns. You know what I'm saying? So don't the, the, the whole idea that you want the state to make some laws. I mean, how many gun laws do we have on the books these days? I mean, people are going to get around laws. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to to have this this mentality that, well, if we just pass another law, you've heard the people say that, well, there should be a law. And I said that starkly, you know, saying 
there should be a law against me having to go to work on a Saturday afternoon, you know, because it's 75 degrees outside. And I want to grill out and hang out, you know, but, yeah. but, but, but a lot of people have that mentality. And I'm like, well, as a pacifist and you call yourself a pacifist, how do you get to that point where like we should have more laws? You know where those laws come from. I mean, that's not pacifism. That is not pacifism. And, and I love these folks dearly, but I think they're, there's something going on that they can't get past. And I've asked them, so, so and I've gotten long debates with a lot of people about this stuff. And I'm like, I want you to explain to me how, who you want to come take my gun from me and how you want that to happen. What does that look like to you? If you're not willing to do it yourself, don't, don't, don't give the state more power to come do it. Mm-hmm. Have you ever read a history book? <laughs> I mean, come on, <laughs> you know, and you mentioned the Revolutionary War. You want to get some, uh, some folks up, yeah. up in arms. I, I made a post. I got home from I work overnight. I got home from work. It's 430 in the morning. I was, made some breakfast. I was going to go to bed and, and I'd been thinking about something all night at work. And I was like, you know, they, they talk about the Revolutionary War like it was God inspired. I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't think Jesus would have condoned any of that. Yeah, no, for sure. And I made a post about it and I went to sleep and I woke up and my Facebook was going crazy. Mm-hmm. And somebody commented, she's like, Craig gets home from work, makes a post, <laughs> blows up Facebook, goes to bed. <laughs> and that's, I mean, I wasn't trying to start a fight, but yeah. I was just, I was, it was just something I was going through my head all night at work. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Jesus would not have condoned any of that. None of it. He would not have endorsed fighting against England. I mean, whether it was good or bad, I mean, it's, it's, Jesus would not have been involved with it in the early church, you know, even prior to Constantine, they would have been like, that's not my thing. Mm-hmm. We're, we're nonviolent. Yeah. And there was a lot of violence in the revolutionary where that's not, that's not, that's not mixing any words. Anyway, didn't mean to go off on that tangent. No, for sure. I agree. I think people just kind of get stuck in these uh, mindsets and they're not necessarily mindsets as much as they're not aware that there are other ways of thinking. Like, like with a lot of things, like back to my school, like people aren't aware like you can be that you can be something other than a feminist or super uh, unhealthy, quiet, traditional, you know, woman. Like there's something else other than that. And then there's something else other than like this idea of anarchy where like you're this violent person that just goes out there and kills people or you're this person who just allows people to come and kill your family. Like there's something other than those two extremes too. Like, and it's just kind of like being able to like step outside these mindsets and like rationally view them and be like, what is this? And I think it comes back to, is like that same idea that my grandpa loves to preach on, like his favorite topic, faith, faith versus fear. And what comes to like the pacifism, like your pacifism isn't something that you're, you're, you become this vague, elusive hard to pin non-committal person like that's not being a pacifist which some people view a pacifist as that like the exact extreme of being um an anarchist or whatever like that chaotic crazy violent person like there's this other this other way of being it's like who we place our faith in we don't place our faith in men and their laws we place our faith in god and his laws and his laws require us to love our neighbors ourselves and their and, and to do good to our enemies and to love our enemies and to give our extra code and to like, this isn't something that's uh, passive. Like being a pacifist isn't a passive thing. It's something that takes a lot of strength. It takes a lot of will. It takes a lot of like softness and determination to be a true pacifist and to be a true anarchist. Like it takes a lot of strength and courage. And I don't think people quite are able to quite 
grasp that yet because they don't quite understand the difference between the fear and the faith. And they put a lot of fear into a lot of their decisions. And until they can step back and like worry less and be anxious less and have less fear and live in a faith-filled way, they're not going to be able to realize that distinction. Yeah. And it, I haven't always been a pacifist. Yeah. I had that mentality. It's like, well, we're just sitting around not doing anything. And I don't know how much you've listened to the show, but if you have, you, you're, you're going to be familiar with Abby Kleckner. And she explained it to me. She goes, it's you're you're actively working towards peace. Mm-hmm. And when she said that to me, I was like, oh, wait a second. So I'm not sitting around doing nothing as a pacifist. I'm actively working towards peace. And like you said, and I 100% agree with that. I was sitting there nodding the whole time you were talking <laughs> because it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of strength to be a pacifist. Mm-hmm. I mean, because people view us as like weirdos, you know, like you can't act like, well, somebody breaks into your home. And, and I get in these debates with Christians too about, and especially in the discussion group, if there's a post, are you familiar with rival nations? Yeah. All right. So, I mean, I've shared one, uh, one of their posts in the group one time and it was just a guy holding a gun, but if you just, but nobody read the article, all of a sudden it was like, oh, you, you, so if, if somebody breaks into my home, I'm not supposed to defend my, my wife and my children. I, was like, I didn't say that. Yeah. I'm just saying, don't kill them back. Even if that means you losing your own life. And that's where I've gotten with my pacifism. Like I, I started training jujitsu. I'm, I'm taking some time off because I'm, I'm having shoulder issues, but I started training it because I, I, I recognize the idea that we need a way to be able to defend ourselves or maybe others. But I'm not willing to kill anybody, even if that means me losing my own life, you know, because I think that's what Jesus was telling us to do. Mm-hmm. Maybe it sounds extreme to folks. And, and that's fine. I don't I mean, I've been called an extremist about a lot of things, even when I was a neoconservative, you know, I was, been, I was an extremist then. Well, I'm an extremist now because of my pacifism, you know, and we got off this, but the post, the anarchy post <laughs> is what brought us together today. How did this get started? Because, I mean, I love your mentality of the, the no king, but Christ, I'm right there with you. But how did this get started in on Twitter? Because you said you don't debate anymore. I try not to. I, mean, I like sharing pictures of my cats on, on Facebook anymore and try not to debate. But every once in a while, I get sucked into one. Yeah. So basically, my rules with debates are if, if I notice that someone is completely like going to attack my view right off the bat, I don't respond to them. <laughs> <laughs> and then if... Uh, because I'm just like they're not they're not looking for a discussion. They're looking they're looking to like kill an idea. They don't want to they don't want to actually exchange ideas. So I'm just like there's no point in talking to someone who already knows that they're right. Um, but sometimes on Twitter it's kind of fun because it's a lot more open and it's people you don't know. I mostly don't debate on Twitter either. It's more like I I share like cute house stuff and my school things and my writing and just like fun stuff that has more to do with life and travels and thoughts and ideas and very few actual debatable things every now and then I've something has gone in a way that I'm just like, Oh, I didn't expect that to blow up because like it was not controversial at all, but somehow someone found it controversial. But yeah, then uh, I think there's, I can't remember which guy it was, but some guy posted this thing on Twitter about says real Christians don't support tyranny. Oh yeah, he's like real Christians don't support tyranny, and he's just a troll. Like he's a fa- he's famous for being a troll on Twitter, so it's fun to like troll his posts because like that's what his posts are for. So I just got on his post and made a reply about what did my reply say? <laughs> you said uh, you said real Christians are anarchists. Oh yeah, real Christians are anarchists. 
That's what you said. That was that was your first reply. I'm not, I'm not going to read everything. But that was your very first reply. It's like real Christians are anarchists, and then it turned into this all this other stuff. And it seemed like you were able to kind of convince some of these folks that you were right. Maybe not all of them, but yeah, for sure. So the way I do that is I just use. Um, and Twitter is a fun place to do it because you haven't got a lot of words to work with anyways. So you've just got to gotta think quick and think uh, precisely. So I just like, and the way I engage with the people is I, I don't get uptight. I remain, I just remain pleasant and in my own spirit. And then I use some humor and I use a couple of pointed facts. If I feel like they're getting a little bit too uptight, I might dish out a little bit of a creative insult but i try not to get too insultive because i feel like that actually detracts from what i'm doing anyways so i try not to do it if they insult me back or at first even i will just be like like no i'm not engaging anymore those three conversations did end quite well i was surprised actually like i knew one of them was gonna be fine but i was i was really surprised with one of them because like they did finally like get my point which is a few words like they were just like fun like i just like was having fun and so like i think their humor was rather uh obvious and <laughs> yeah they were just fun and nobody on like people used to talk about how twitter is like this horrible place for fighting and debating but it's actually facebook like the only place where people get like uptight is on facebook where they have the opportunity to like write these really super long messages that you never can read completely and it's just like this like rambling of like who knows what they're saying and then like so you never actually read the argument and like it's just like long reply followed by long reply who knows if they actually are reading those arguments or just saying what they want to say whereas on twitter like you can actually make a couple legit arguments and like come away laughing and enjoying it <laughs> i've told people more than once on facebook and they'll have this long, like they just wrote a book to me yeah. in, in response. And I've told them more than once. I said, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not reading all of that. Yeah. I'm not going no. to. You already disagree with me anyway. I mean, I don't have time to read your book that you just wrote me. Yeah. I don't have time. I get, now let's get back to the point. And, and, and I was, what I'll do with Facebook, and, and if I do get mixed up in a debate, what I, I recognize, you could, like you said a while ago, you can recognize pretty quickly if it's going to be, a conversation, an intellectual conversation, or if they're just trying to be uh, combative because they don't understand or they don't want to understand. But what I've what I've noticed, especially with the with this project and and is, is the messages I get from people. There's a there's a remnant out there that are watching this and reading this. I'm not talking to that person anymore. I'm talking to the people that are curious, but they don't know how to um, come to this understanding. But they, but they know something's wrong. They recognize something's wrong. And so and I get these messages from folks that they'll well, tell me more about what you were saying. And I appreciate what you were saying and all this stuff. And I, I, it happens all the time. And then I get to have a real conversation with folks about what, what I how, what I believe. And it, it doesn't mean they're always going to agree with me. And that's OK. But it, it, but there's they're thinking. And that's all we need is just folks to start thinking. And that's what I loved about your your Twitter post there. And I mean, I got a Twitter account. I just don't know how to use Twitter. I'm just not. It's it's very like you get a thread and there, there's a sub thread and there's a sub thread. And then I get lost. I have no idea where I'm at anymore. So I don't, I stay away from Twitter quite a bit. It's my favorite social media. I love it so much. <laughs> really? Yeah. I love it. But it definitely took me a couple of years to figure out. Yeah. Maybe I should spend more time on there and, and try to figure it out. I don't know. It just, it gets very confusing to me because I don't know even who I'm talking to anymore. Like I think I'm talking to this person that I've replied to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> And then they're all replying back. And I was like, I don't know who I'm talking to anymore. It's very confusing. It can get chaotic. Yeah. But once you get used to it, you kind of become a part of the chaos and you love it. 
<laughs> yeah. So, um, but before I let you go, and I, I, we've been going on almost an hour and 20 minutes. I didn't know how long this was going to take, but it's been fu- a fun conversation. But um, we were talking about that post about your, your Christian anarchy and, um, and real Christian or Christians are actual anarchists. And I, and I agree. Do, do you get messages from folks when you talk about that stuff? Do they want to know more about what you're saying? Or are they curious or? Mostly in real life. Uh, I used to, we used to have a bunch of Mormon boys that live close by and they would always come over and try to like, you know, mission to us. And I love conversations of any sort. I'm not going to ever have anyone knock on my door and tell them to go away. Like that's just very unhospitable. So whenever I have more boys come over, I'm like, oh yeah, sure. Come over and stay. But you know, like I'm also going to move this conversation in the direction I want to go <laughs> You don't know who you're talking to right now. Yeah. Come on, sit down. Let's talk. <laughs> so after there's, there was a while where the boys were coming quite a lot. And finally I was like, I, I, I was pretty busy. One of my sisters was mostly engaging with them because she was dating the Mormon guy at the time. And she uh, enjoyed the conversations more than I did. But I was noticing that they were always coming at dinner time and they were never eating what I was preparing. So finally one day the boys came over and I was like, don't come to my house again unless you're going to eat what I have cooked. <laughs> and be prepared when you come next time to be convinced that you're an anarchist. And <laughs> so the next time they came hungry and they wanted to hear the conversation. And I was just like, yeah, I'm going to tell you that you are an anarchist already. You still know it. Yes. And by the end of the conversation, I had I convinced, I had mostly convinced them. They're like, well, we can't disagree with you anymore. And so the next time they brought someone over, they're like, this, this new person came. They're like, well, I was told that I had to come hungry and that I was going to be told why I'm an anarchist. And like that just like kept happening for a while. Where all these Mormon boys were like, this last person told me to come here and to get some food and to be told why I'm an anarchist. <laughs> um, <laughs> It was so fun. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah, so like, I have a lot of conversations like that in real life. I feel like whenever I have these these conversations, it's people are more receptive and they enjoy them because a lot of people don't get real life conversations. Like Facebook and Twitter, whatever, like that's just boring and old news. Everyone knows that everybody sends each other debatable, like outrageous things. But in real life, how often do you get that chance to be like, oh, here's an interesting idea that I get to like digest for a bit? And when they do that and they are like confronted with these different ideas, they start thinking about it differently. And it does change your life in real life. The, these questions and these conversations change your life and they go away thinking, maybe I am an anarchist and I just didn't know it. Maybe I actually am not quite as much of a feminist as I thought I was before. Maybe I actually do like being at home or maybe I do like being hospitable and I want to like make people more comfortable. And they just like start thinking about these things in a different way. And start realizing like, oh, you know what? I actually don't like the corporate world. Why do I think I need a job? Why do I think I need to go to college? Like they start like thinking about these things more when you have a nice conversation and when you are like nice to them and like you give them food. Like I'm not just telling these boys that they're not anarchists. I was like also feeding them like everything like sounds better when you're like eating good food. <laughs> so like I don't know. It's, it's just like that exchange, that real life, that community building that I was talking about earlier. When, when that's happening, People automatically love talking about anything and everything. Yeah, I uh, I value face to face conversations like that with people, and more so, obviously, more so than I do on Facebook. And but I mean, I got a lot of friends on Facebook, and we have conversations. It's whatever, but yeah, like you can sit down and have a cup of coffee, or like you said, eat dinner or something. Have a co- I, I value that so much more because. And honestly, you know, during the COVID stuff, it really opened up a lot of doors for anarchists to talk to folks about anarchy. Yeah. 
about what actual anarchy is, not the garbage that Donald Trump and Sean Hannity on Fox News was calling anarchy. Yeah. That's not anarchy. No. But we, it gave you the the gave us the opportunity to talk to folks about what anarchy is or voluntarism, whatever you want to call it. You know, and mm-hmm. I think <laughs> I, I, I've said this often too. I think the state really screwed up with all that because it opened a lot of people's eyes to the the garbage that they've been uh, spewing at us. And, yeah, for sure. And I think that's a good place to end. What do you think? Oh, I think so. I agree. Yeah, it's been great. But we need to do this again. You said your grandpa was going to write a book. Maybe you can get your, talk to your grandpa and coming on and we can have a conversation with your grandpa. Oh, that he would love that. That would be so fun. Yeah. Maybe when the book releases sometime in a few months, that'd be a great idea. Awesome. So um, before I let you go, whatever you want to plug, man, tell folks where they can find you and I'll let you get out of here. They can find me on Twitter. That's the best place. Katura Abigail. And my blog is mostly updated regularly, but not all the time, just because I'm pretty busy with projects right now. My main blog is the socialporcupine.com. And if they, if there's any young woman listening or anyone who knows a young woman and they want to sponsor them and send them, my school is the livingroomacademy.com and there's scholarships available. So don't let the financial side deter you from applying because it's going to be a once in a lifetime, super extreme, great opportunity. So definitely check that out. It's going to be so much fun. And then, uh, yeah, if they want to know more about the social security number stuff, uh, that's all at the girl who doesn't exist.com. But Twitter is definitely the best place. Yes. Awesome. All right, Katura, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. We are, we're going we're to do this again. This was fascinating. I, I knew it was going to be fascinating. Didn't know how fascinating it was going to be, but it was pretty fascinating. And I, hopefully we can, we can set that up with your grandpa. That'd be fun to, to talk to him. And I think uh, uh, folks listening to the show would be more interested to hear what he has to say as well. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Yes, ma'am. Thanks for joining us this week on the Bad Roman Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcasts to never miss an episode. And while you're at it, if you like what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, it really helps people find us. 100% of donations are given to local charities in Memphis, Tennessee. To learn more about the Bad Roman Project and to find show notes, please visit thebadroman.com.